Welcome in to the Locked On Knicks podcast. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf. Alex, we're putting out 300 episodes this week. The people cannot get enough of the Locked On Knicks podcast. Or if they can, we're going to find out because we're putting out a ridiculous amount of uh, a ridiculous amount of content trying to fit in all these player capsules. Um, I hate to tell you guys, the theme has not changed. We are rolling on with that series, and we are joined by uh, one of my favorite guests ever, Tom Piccolo, who always always brings a lot of insight every single time he comes on. Very thoughtful dude. Really enjoy talking to him. And Alex, we are starting off with Tom Piccolo because guess what? This is going to be a two-parter uh, discussing Kevin Knox. Yeah, and you know, I think Knox was a guy that we were both really excited to get into as well as Tom. Uh, we let off with him instead of Julius Randle in this capsule, which, spoiler alert, part two of this will be uh, Julius Randle and Alec Burks. But we got into a really lengthy discussion about Knox and, you know, how much time it's worth uh, putting into him, uh, what his, his ideal role would be, you know, how he could potentially perform on defense uh, in a different role and things of that nature. So there's a lot to get into with Kevin Knox. He's, as we know, a really intriguing player uh, and a guy worth paying attention to. So we're getting into all that with Tom Piccolo next on Locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starts with a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Thompson tucks left. Now fires a three. He's good. And he's fouled. It's tough. And he makes Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. We are continuing our player preview series, uh, our player preview capsules, as we're calling them. We're breaking down a number of players with different guests from around the internet. And first off, I am Alex Wolf. I am editor-in-chief of The Strickland. You can find me on Twitter at the Alex Wolf, and you can find that website at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw. Uh, he is a play-by-play announcer by day, Nick's podcaster by night. This is basically his Batman job. He is at Gavin Shaw on Twitter. And we are joined by our very special guest today. It is Tom Piccolo. He is the co-host of the Talkin' Nick's podcast. And as I just figured out, currently a writing-free agent. But hopefully we'll be writing some cool, cool Knicks stuff coming up this upcoming season, as he has in the past. Tom, how are you doing? How are you holding up? It's been a while, right, since you were last on. I, I don't recall when the last time actually was. I think it was earlier this year. Hey, guys. No, I'm doing well. It was earlier this year. Alex, I don't think you were able to make it. I think it was just me and Gavin on mm-hmm. that one. But uh, no, it's... Uh, we, we talked about Fred Van Vliet. I was trying to remember, and it just it just dawned on me. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. No, that's right. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, a worthwhile conversation for sure. But oh, how times have changed, right? (laughs) Hopefully these are a little bit more relevant. uh, Yeah, this will have a little more staying power, at least for the early part of this season. So we may as well not, you know, dance around it and just get right in. I it's funny when we reached out to you about doing this and we were like, hey, would you want to do player capsules? And then when we were doling them out, I was like, the one that you got, I would say, and I even said this to you was I was like, 
I don't know if this is the most like appealing capsule that we have here, but I, there's a reason that I chose you to do it. And that's because I know that you're the type to look beyond the surface level when you're talking about different players and, you know, different things like that. So our capsule today is, is Julius Randall, Alec Burks and Kevin Knox, all three pretty intriguing guys. Um, I'm trying to think who we should start with. If we should consider Randall, the quote unquote headliner here, uh, or if we should go with one of the other guys, I am going to say, let's start with Kevin Knox. Um, so, you know, Knox, obviously he's going into his third year. He's had, I would say one of the more interesting slash frustrating journeys of any of the Knicks young players. I mean, he, I think a lot of the things that people complain about being the case with Frank Nilakina low key could be as far as development or lack thereof could almost be applied to Kevin Knox, but more so because he was, you know, under David Fisdale, his first season when the Knicks were clearly tanking, you know, going for Zion ended up with RJ. That's fine. We love RJ. And it was, you know, it was only ever 14% chance at Zion regardless, but they were tanking that year clearly. And Fisdale empowered Knox like a lot, probably too much and played him, you know, like 30 plus minutes in a role that definitely didn't suit him. You know, he was consistently being asked to create for others. Like he was just kind of playing what I would unaffectionately call Fisdale ball, which was essentially just getting handed the ball at the top of the three point line and just being like, all right, figure it out. And Kevin Knox is not that kind of player, not that kind of shot creator, not that kind of distributor, not that kind of anything. And, you know, I think that that really hurt his development in some ways that rookie year, but even so we still saw some flashes like, he won rookie of the month in December, his first season, and everybody was like ready to proclaim him the next like Jason Tatum. Uh, and then, you know, he fell off a cliff and couldn't throw the ball in the ocean for about two months after that. And then kind of came on again towards the end of his rookie season and, you know, left people with enough optimism going into his second year. And then last year comes around and the Knicks make some moves that make you think that while they weren't win now, necessarily, not nearly as much as like you know, doing the Brooklyn Nets route. And, you know, if they were the ones that had gotten Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, even without Durant playing, like you would expect that the Knicks to win some games. But, you know, getting Randall, getting Peyton, getting, um, you know, Ellington, Bullock, all those guys, Portis, you know, you kind of figured that the Knicks might get a little bit better. And as a result, like, you know, some of the young guys on the team would have to try a little harder for minutes and stuff. And so we saw Knox get a decent amount of minutes to start the season, start off kind of hot from three. Uh, and then just fell off a cliff, like even harder than he did, I think, his rookie year, but had less of a of a leash this time around. And ultimately, his minutes went up and down like crazy last year. I mean, he went some games where he would barely even play, if at all, and other games where he would play closer to 30 minutes. It was kind of just dependent on the day. Ultimately, Tom, and you know, I'll throw this to you now. I've been rambling on enough, giving like background information everybody probably already remembers, but <laughs> You know, I think that the big problem with Knox is, for one, you know, jostling around of his role and jostling around of his development. And then, like, for two, I think he's been being played out of position this whole time. Uh, you know, he just I just said this, you know, the other day on one of our bold prediction podcasts that we did with the Knicks film school guys. But I legitimately think based off what we've seen, he, you know, Knox's biggest weakness, which other than his shooting, which needs to find consistency, at least you can see the blueprint for success there. I don't think he can ever be a good wing defender. There's no blueprint there. 
And I think the biggest issue is that he's been being played out of position. And I think that he's actually a small ball four and he's played pretty well against smaller fours and stuff like that. But what it, what's your overall take on Knox through two years and like kind of what you're expecting to see out of him this year? Well, that, that positional question is actually the first thing I wanted to bring up because I, I was looking at cleaning the glass and, you know, his rookie year, he played about 55% of his minutes at small forward and, and about 45% at power forward which was in pretty stark contrast to, to this year where he played 83% at small forward and just 13 at power forward. So he definitely saw a lot more minutes at that power forward position his rookie year and had more success doing it. So I think you're onto something there. And you know that, and I, I listened to that episode, uh, the, the crossover with Nick's film school and Alex, your, your prediction kind of did blow me away a little because you, you predicted not only that he would play more at power forward, but that he would become an above average defender at that position that I, I hope so. That is bold. That's very bold. But my question kind of came with how, how is he going to play a lot of power forward on this team? Because, you know, we'll get to Randall. I think he's getting his minutes. Like I, I think he is going to be a mainstay. Um, granted people are talking about him potentially getting traded or moved before the deadline. Again, we'll get to Randall, but certainly to start the season between Randall and Toppin. And then if you want to throw in MKG or Spellman, possibly, I just don't know how he's going to be seeing many of those minutes of power forward. Betting on the NBA doesn't have to be a guessing game. If you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling, get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag, wherever you get podcasts. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I'm, I'm hoping again, and I, I think this is a false hope, and we'll get into it in the Randall section that they trade him earlier than later. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. It looks like he's going to probably be here right up until the deadline, and then we'll be talking about it, and maybe some team will see something they like and throw an offer out there, and and maybe we'll, we'll get an ideal power forward rotation. Because I would, I would personally for um, for what this team um, needs to do this year, which is uh, lose a lot of games, I'd be very happy with the OP top and Omari Spellman, Kevin Knox power forward rotation, and I would I would call it there. Um, I think he's I think to your to your point, he's going to end up playing a lot of three, um, and maybe there'll be some room for you 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 would hope there would be some room for like some hybrid lineups where like Knox could play the three on offense and guard the four. The issue is the Knicks don't really have any fours with great mobility who could potentially guard down at all. So it, it's a little bit of a worry. But Tom, I guess that was that was sort of what I wanted to get at with you on Kevin Knox. It, it seems like from, from all we've heard, all the reporting we've heard, um, unlike Frank Nilakina, the organization is pretty set on the idea that Knox is going to be a mainstay and they're going to find a way to keep him. He um, there were reports. I think Mark Berman wrote a whole article about it that Knox was the single hardest working player uh, on the team last season. And it's an interesting contrast when you have a guy who's an extremely hard worker, like very diligent, also has all the tools. You look at that on paper, and by all the tools, I mean all the tools physically. Um, you look at that on paper and you say, okay, why isn't that guy awesome? Like he's, he's incredibly athletic. He's big. He has nice touch on his shot. He's good in transition. Um, he showed flashes of shot blocking last year. Why isn't that dude like a kick-ass player? And, and I mean, the answer, I think, is it's obviously multifaceted. But the two things I look at is, one, um, was he working on the right things? The Knicks had the absolute worst developmental staff in the NBA last year, or, or at least in the bottom three or so. Um, this year, presumably, that's a lot better. Um, and two, uh, did Knox view himself as something that he wasn't, like when he was winning uh, Rookie of the Month 
And when he was, I, I mean, a, a lot of people, myself included, had extremely high hopes for him after his rookie season. Did he see himself as sort of a star wing creator? When to Alex's point, I think his destiny is to ultimately be a three and D guy that can maybe do a little bit in transition. So I'm looking at all that. I'm looking at the fact that he took less threes last season, which seemed to be the point of his game that was that was the best as a rookie. And I'm seeing someone who doesn't necessarily have an identity right now. If he's not playing a lot of power forward and he's he's in a front court rotation that's relatively crowded, what does he look like on, on next year's Knicks team? Yeah, and, and the question comes down to kind of like what are his strengths? And, and you laid a few of those out, like the nice touch on the shot. I, it, they just haven't really translated into success on the court, right? So you go through his his number. I mean, the, the eye test says one thing, like he was he was just kind of, it seemed like he was bad at everything. So you go through the numbers, and you're like, that can't possibly be. And you look at all the synergy data, as flawed as that sometimes is, but it kind of gives you a somewhat of a sense. And, you know, he used a third of his possessions on spot-up shots and was in the 27th percentile on those shots. So as a spot-up shooter, like that's kind of table stakes for him. Like that's if he doesn't become a better spot-up shooter, I don't really know what his place in the league is. Like and he doesn't for someone of his size and his athleticism, he doesn't have to do much more than that. Like just be an above average three-point shooter and you have a place in this league. If if he can't do that, then it, you know the rest of the conversation might be moot. But you, you go through the rest of his how he used his possessions. Nearly 20% was in transition. You know, he was still very low in terms of his efficiency there, just the 38th percentile, but just that's where kind of the eye test may tell you a different thing. He looked good in transition as far as like, sure, he may have turned the ball over a decent amount, but I, I'm personally encouraged when I see him in the open court because he can move, he's fluid, and, you know, he, he can finish a little bit. Granted, his, his uh, finishing at the rim this season in the half court was among the worst in the league. But that's why he's got to get out in transition so he doesn't have those defenders to get around. Um, the, one, the one area that really jumped out to me from his rookie year to, to this uh, sophomore year was, was in, as a pick-and-roll ball handler. You, you mentioned his role, his rookie year, he might have been kind of asked to do too much. But as a pick-and-roll ball handler, he used 20% of his possessions there and was in the 64th percentile. He was, a very, he was sneakily a very good pick-and-roll ball handler his rookie year. And this year it was about the same percentage of his possessions and he was down to the 18th percentile. He was one of the worst in the league. Um, I, I think part of that is you know, part of that was the roster around him, I, I think. And, and a lot of it was also just a loss of confidence. I think a lot of people have noted that with Knox, that a lot of his issues were meant were kind of his mentality. And I think that that is also that point is bolstered by the fact that his free throw percentage just completely plummeted. Like there, there's no other reason for that. Right. He was like, he was a strong free throw shooter his rookie year and was shooting 65% in his second year. Like that has to be mental, right? His shot didn't, the mechanics of it didn't change. So I don't know. I, I do wonder how much of it is uh, a mentality thing. Yeah. I, I totally think that a lot of Knox's issues are between his ears, you know, because to your point, physically he does, profile as an NBA player. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that he got drafted where he did was, you know, especially, well, you can't really say the same for, for McCall. Like, it, I feel like we always go back to this debate of like Knox versus McCall versus miles. And like those three among Knicks fans, at least are always going to be judged together because that was like the debate at the time. And, uh, you know, miles bridges, you could argue didn't really have ideal NBA size. Like he's a little short for weighing, 
has a small wingspan, but has like athleticism for days, you know, so you were banking on that, being able to carry him. McCall was like older and people just kind of thought that he'd already sort of peaked, like didn't have that much potential to get much better. But he he has a like a freakish wingspan um, to go with his, you know, frame, but he's not quite as tall, but he has like the wingspan to match. And then Knox was like the other guy who's like six foot nine has like, I think like a six eleven wingspan or something like that or seven foot. Um, you know, he looks the the part of a guy who could potentially be a, a you know, an impact player on both ends. Like he can shoot over pretty much anyone that he wants to. He can, in theory, you know, help on defense, uh, you know, around the rim and stuff like that uh, with his length, you know, and in theory should be able to do better on the perimeter, but is ultimately kind of slow footed, uh, which is what holds him back. I, I do wonder if some of it is him growing into his body, which I think is always an issue with the particularly young players that get drafted in that, you know, Knox, but I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't exactly. I've never read an article saying like, Oh, he grew like six inches his junior year in high school or whatever. But at some point that had to have happened to him. You know, he had to have gone through a growth spurt to get up to six foot nine. And it was probably some point, you know, sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. And, you know, then sometimes it just takes longer for guys to adjust than others to their body and everything and to, to get used to it. But yeah, like, I, I guess I keep going back to, I just think, I don't know how success, you know, he could, he could get that shooting skill, Tom, which, which you alluded to. And that alone, you know, if he could start hitting, I don't know, to see him shoot. I mean, his shooting form is so beautiful. Like you would really think that he would have no problem being like a a damn near 40% three point shooter based off the fact that he's able to get his shot off so high. You know, it it's just such a beautiful arcing shot. I mean, maybe part of the issue is that he puts too much arc on his shot. But mm-hmm. re- regardless, like, he has such a nice-looking shot. You would think, you know, his mechanics are always looking clean. You would think he'd be able to get up to 37 38 39%. And I do think he will be able to at some point in his career. My biggest thing is I just don't know if he's ever going to be able to defend the three, if that's the position that he's ultimately going to be assigned. Um, and it would be a disappointment to me. I mean... You mentioned, you know, and we'll get to him in a minute, but like the logjam created by the fact that they just drafted Obi Toppin, that they already have Randall on the roster, you know, that that creates some issues with playing time there because those two are definitely fours or maybe a small ball five. But, you know, you have two legitimate rim protectors at the five now that make it kind of hard to justify playing anyone but those two if you can afford it uh, throughout the game because you're getting between Noel and Mitch, you're getting guaranteed rim protection for 48 minutes a game if you if you want to roll with the true center the whole time. And they're versatile enough to be out there with pretty much any lineup. Um, so it, it creates that issue of, you know, where do you find Knox minutes? I, though, I just don't know if he has it in him to be a three. You know, I just I don't think he can keep up with threes, especially with how they're trending in the league. He's not fast enough. Like laterally, he's a disaster, which is the big issue is that like he can't. He can't keep guys in front of him, you know, so guys just blow right by him and without much issue. And maybe some of that's correctable. Maybe it's some of it's just timing and anticipation and stuff. But some of that stuff, I think, also is kind of between your between your ears and, you know, isn't things that you can just correct with coaching. Although you would think if anyone could ever do it, it would be Tom Thibodeau and his former mentor at Kentucky in, in uh, Kenny Payne. But I guess that brings me to my other point, which is what I've been. Uh, I'm curious for your opinion on this, Tom. And this is just pure conjecture on my part. Like I have nothing to back this up. But the stuff that we've been seeing 
from all the way back when they did that little mini camp back in like September is Kevin Knox working with Kenny Payne. And specifically, Kenny Payne has only been working with the bigs, like he's, which makes sense. He's a big man coach, but he's been working with, you know, Mitchell Robinson, now Obi Toppin, Julius Randle, presumably Nerland Snowell. I don't think I've seen a photo or whatever of them together yet, but you figure that he's working with them. Meanwhile, Johnny Bryant, you see working with RJ Barrett, who I would say is more of a wing. You know, you see him working with uh, Dennis Smith, Frank, you know, and Frank, you know, could be considered anywhere from a guard to a wing, depending on how they want to use him, you know, guys like that. So Kevin Knox has been working with Kenny Payne and it does look like they're working on. And I mean, this might just be the nature of Kenny Payne's job, but it looks like most of what they're working on is interior stuff, you know, working on trying to help Knox finish on the inside and do stuff like that. I kind of feel like based off everything that we've seen in that regard, that maybe there's a uh, something to be said for the fact that the Knicks might be viewing him as more of a four. And maybe, I mean, unfortunately it might mean less playing time for him until the day comes that Randall gets dealt or whatever. But I, I do think that maybe there's a chance that they are viewing him that way. I'm curious what you think about that though. We'll be back with Tom in just a sec. But before that, I want to remind all you NBA fans to listen up because the Locked On NBA podcast is getting you ready for the start of the regular season with a special week of team preview podcasts all this week, plus waiver wire editions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball and rookies to watch from draft guru Chad Ford. I'll be tuning into the preview of the Atlantic Division because me and Alex are on that podcast, so why wouldn't you want to listen to us? I love listening to myself because I'm a narcissist, so I'll go back and listen to that episode. Um, but also, it's good It's good to get the lowdown on uh, what's what's going on in uh, Brooklyn. Hate those guys. Uh, what's going on in Boston? Um, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, no, no Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, a little bit of beat up. The Celtics are going to be interesting. Philly, for my money, I think one of the most interesting teams in the NBA this year with the shooting they added. Um increasingly intrigued about whether they're going to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. That would be a lot of fun. I think him and Embiid is kind of a weird counterintuitive um, combo. And then Toronto, uh, if you want to uh, join me in my pain at watching Malachi Flynn um, excel on a team that is not the Knicks, get the latest on the Raptors. All of that featured in the Atlantic Division preview on the Locked on NBA podcast. I know a lot of you who listen to this podcast are just general NBA fans, so please support us, support the network, listen to all those episodes. They're a great way to get the preview, and you know our friend Chad Ford has some good insight in all the rookies. I'm sure Obi Toppin will be one of them that he talks about in depth, so that is a great resource to get you ready for the NBA season, and subscribe to Lockdown NBA wherever you get your podcast, because Alex and I hop on there quite a bit, and I would argue it's it's really the ultimate sum up of what's going on in the league on a day-to-day basis. Certainly in podcast form, you do not get better coverage anywhere else to sign on. No, that, that is curious that he'd spend that time um, working with the big men, just because I think even if Kevin Knox is playing the four, you don't want him clogging up the paint. Like his value is a, as a four around the perimeter. Um, you know, would it be valuable for him to be able to, uh, you know, beat up smaller guys who are on him, like, you know, beat mismatches in the post for sure. Uh, I don't think we've seen anything his first two seasons to indicate he can do that. Like I was just looking through his synergy numbers and I don't even think he had enough post-ups to even like register to synergy. So it's just not really, it hasn't really been a part of his game, but I mean, it's still a nice skill to have in this league. Like I, you know, a lot of players have kind of, you know, 
the po- the post moves have kind of gone away, and so it's still nice to have. But I would say, as far as like shooting goes, you said you think Knox can be like a 39 three point shooter, and you know I remember having those conversations early last year. I was saying to my friends, I think like he he has that forty percent in him before he completely cratered, and this this one number really stuck out to me. Was he was actually one of the worst corner three-point shooters in the league. He was a little better above the break, which was interesting. Because I think where you'd want him is kind of like stationed in that corner to help space the floor. But I, I came here prepared with a stat. So 121 players took at least 50 corner threes, and Knox ranked 120th of, the, of those guys. Only Derek Jones Jr. was worse shooting corner threes. That was per NBA.com. Like, I mean, that's just untenable, you know, like that's, that's a recipe for not getting on the court. And so that's part of my concern is, is Thibs isn't the type of guy who just hands out minutes. Like he's the, he does the whole mentality you have to earn your minutes. You know, we know Kevin Knox had his minutes handed to him his rookie year, less so in his second year. And, and with, with Thibs as coach, like I, I'm worried that he's not going to be getting a lot of minutes. Like I, you know, I don't think he's not Tibbs's guy. Like he doesn't really have any uh, emotional reason to play him. So I, I'm a little concerned about uh, where he'll be in the rotation. And part of it is, you know, I, I don't like to question guys like competitiveness or anything like that. But you know, just based on watching him last year, he didn't really compete much on the defensive end. Some of that could have been. Some of that was. Um, a function of general awareness, which I think we said could be remedied to a degree by a, de- a developmental staff. But, you know, there are two types of guys. Is someone going to make a mistake by because they are too aggressive and playing too hard, or is it because they're too too lax or they're too passive? And, and Knox definitely fell into that latter category. And, I mean, that, that's a part of a mentality thing, but it's also just like – I know you mentioned, uh, Gavin, that, that Berman said he was one of the hardest workers on the team. I hope that's true, but it's just on the court, he's not someone who's like flying around, making the hustle plays, diving on the floor. And you're not sitting there going, wow, like look how hard this guy is playing. Kind of the opposite, to be honest. So so if I'm looking for two things this year from him, it is that just competitive spirit and shooting. And I think if he just does those two things, that's all he has to do because he has the other tools to be an NBA player. He has, like I said, the size, the athleticism. He just has to be able to shoot and he has to compete. And those are the main two things for me. Yeah, I think I, I whenever I talk about Knox, I always I always mention processing speed. And it's it's interesting because I mean for, for us who aren't inside the organization or, or close with Kevin Knox, it, it, you can only you can only guess what the issue is. And is it you can say, is it like is it a motor thing? Is it that he's seeing things slowly? And, and I remember going back to his rookie year, every game where he made a play, where he he made a quick decision, or he saw someone like, and he was doing this more and more by the end of last year, where we saw um, someone lose their man, which when Julius Randle was in the game was was like a pretty common occurrence. <laughs> um, and various, not just Randle, various guys on the Knicks, um, and, and Knox was able to like jump in and, and get a help side block and you would I would get really excited I'd be like well one it's great that he recognized that two it's great I mean to your point Tom that he had the giddy up to go over and and, and make a play on it and it, it's you, you don't see that consistently and it, it's so hard to pin down like I've I've time and time again said processing speed processing speed but maybe he recognizes it and is just like ah, I don't I don't know if I want to go over there let that was kind of Randall's fault let, let him deal with that they're just gonna kick it out to my guy and he's gonna hit a three and I'm gonna get yelled at um, and and it's it just, again, it's very, very hard to gauge, especially on a team with multiple bad defenders. Um, where's the weak point? But I also think 
I also think that same concept sort of applies to Kevin Knox offensively. This was um, courtesy of Jonathan Macri, where I get all my stats. Um, in the first 40 games of the season, he took uh, 3.6 threes per game. He hit uh, right under 34% from three, which obviously isn't a great mark, maybe not even um, one that lines up with how good we think his shooting form is, but it is for him relatively solid. And and then um, over the end of the season, the Knicks' final 25 games, he only put up 2.2 threes per game, and he, he shot far worse. He shot just around 30% from three. Um, and the, the theory on that is um, defenses were noticing, okay, the one thing this guy does consistently in the half court is, is shoot threes. He's not great at them, but I, I mean, relative to the Knicks offense as a whole, that was already either the worst in the league or, or one of the two or three worst in the league. Um, it's, it's a relatively fine option for their bench unit. So let's run him off the line. And when you ran Kevin Knox off the line, he had no answers. And, and part of that is because, as we keep saying, his game offensively just there really isn't all that multifaceted. And again, anytime we saw flashes of a floater or him making a smart pass, I'd get so, so excited. But that was just indicative to me that those were so few and far between. There was a reason to be excited when you saw them. And I think part of it is obviously like, I hope this this new developmental staff, um, maybe it's Kenny Payne at points, maybe it's Johnny Bryant at points. They're, they're working on his pump and go game. They're working on his off the dribble game and saying, hey, you need to be able to um, jump stop and, and whip a pass into the corner. Or you need to be able to pull up from 15 occasionally if defenses are going to give you that shot. Or you need to go all the way to the rim, you're six foot eight, get into the body of someone you're fairly athletic, take some contact and finish. There are a lot of different options there, but he has to get better at all those different things. But in defense of Kevin Knox, all those things are far, far easier when you're not playing out of position at small forward and you're not playing with a power forward and a center that can't shoot for more than two or three feet away from the basket. So to me, that's the ultimate thing. It's play him at the four, play him in better lineups. Um, if he's out there, he he should be with one non-shooter. And for the Knicks, those lineups are, are probably mostly theoretical. If you're playing guys like Emmanuel Quickly, Iggy Brozdakis, Jared Harper, maybe it's easier to get to those lineups. And, and if RJ Barrett improves it, from shooting from distance, it's easier to get to those lineups. But I, I think offensively, especially in the half court, not that you're building around Kevin Knox, but for him to have success, he, he needs shooting around him because he has to have space to operate because he, he just doesn't have the skill to operate in tight spaces. And, and frankly, not a lot of guys on the Knicks do. So that's ultimately what I'm looking for. Tom, we should probably move on from Kevin Knox. So just one real quick thing. Yeah, last was, last okay, season, yeah. last yeah. season, Knox played 18 minutes per game. Just real quick, if I'm setting that as the over-under, what are you guys taking? Do you think he's going to play more or less than 18 minutes per game next season? I'm going I, more. I think more. Yeah. I'm going to say, oh, that's tough. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say under because I think, I think post, post tread deadline, he's, he's getting up to like 25 minutes a game. I think pre trade deadline, I don't know if he's in the rotation. Uh, I, I, I definitely think he's getting the way that they're talking right now, the way Tibbs is talking about him, the way that they're sort of focusing on him right now. And the fact that there's the, the Kenny Payne connection and all that stuff. He's, he's for sure going to get minutes. I think, I think pre-trade deadline, right or wrong, he's going to play some minutes at the three and stuff. Maybe we'll get some minutes at the four and, you know, make me happy. But, uh, you know, he's going to get minutes. I'd be willing to bet it would be somewhere in like the 20 to 22 range. And then post whenever Julius Randle gets traded, yeah, I'm I'm with you, Gavin. He's probably in the 25 to 30 minutes a game range. I I think this coaching staff in particular is going to give him every chance. I just feel like no matter how much you like him, like who who is he like if Toppin's getting somehow like if Toppin's getting twenty five and Randall's getting thirty and RJ's getting thirty two, like where I, I just don't know where he's playing in in that and like maybe the answer is I mean what was said yesterday on this podcast where there's there's going to be some lineups where Randall's playing center, Toppin's playing the four, and either RJ or Knox is at the three. 
and, and maybe that way he gets a little bit more minutes, but I, I don't know. I just think like RJ is sort of like has that small forward spot pinned down. And, and if anything, like I would be more inclined to put out lineups with Frank Rivers and Burks and have, have them be a little bit smaller um, than play Kevin Knox at the small forward spot. So I, I just, I just don't think like, even, even if they do like him, I just don't know who he's playing over because he's just not close to the player that, any of those other guys are, and, and that's an assumption with Toppin, but based on what we know about Toppin, he's probably from day one going to be better than Kevin Knox. Yeah, I'll throw it to you too, Tom, but uh, what was I going to say? I, I lost my train of thought. I'll throw it to you too, Tom. How, how many minutes do you think he's going to get? <laughs> I mean, it, that's, a, that's a really tough one. Like, I think it's going to be right around there, you know? Um, I, I I think it'd be in that, that 17 to 19 minute mark. I'm not, but I, I'm going to take the under just because I think that was kind of the point I was making with. With Randall and Toppin, I, I really think they're guaranteed minutes at that four spot, and I, I think it's just going to be really tight. And, and like I said, Thibodeau doesn't hand out minutes. Like he he's going to make him earn him. And and from what we saw, like Knox just has a long way to go to be earning minutes over some of these more veteran guys. So I, I do think the eighteen minutes per game is going to be in that range. So I'm going to take the under, but not not much under. But we can we can move on from Knox. That's a lot of Knox talk. Yeah. yeah. One one final stat: the Knicks were zero and fifteen in games that Knox didn't play last year. They were also um, to, to further confuse everyone. They were something like three and twenty two when he played over twenty five minutes. Though part of that was because he would he would play twenty five minutes in blowouts. Um, so the Knicks were at their best when Kevin Knox was playing right around eighteen minutes a game. So that might that might be perfect for the wow, Knicks. They might have been a playoff team. Yeah, I was going to say to make their ill fated playoff run. That's that's what needs to happen. Kevin Knox needs to play exactly eighteen. That's minutes. the formula. All right, guys, as promised in the intro, that is it for today with Tom Piccolo. Again, he is the host of the Talking Knicks podcast. Please go follow him on Twitter. Check him out wherever he produces content. I, I know he's going to start writing for a couple of new spots as the season goes on, but he really is one of the best people in the Knicks coverage game. And if you enjoyed this one, the good news is you will certainly get more of him because we are back with Tom and we are going to break down Julius Randle and Alec Burks. I think Tom sort of lucked out with his player capsules. There, there, was no, there was no weak spot in there. All three of those guys are very interesting and for various reasons, very integral to this next season. So tune in for that later today. As soon as later today, we will have that up for all of you. And uh, thanks for listening.